once forged in the fires of PR and journalism, Curtis Dewar and Corey Westbrook united to create C-Squared. Now on our podcast, we interview musicians and other industry professionals to give you an inside look on how to take your music to the next level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the C-Squared Podcast. Your host, Curtis, with my co-host, Aaliyah. And we are here today with Zoe Federoff, who is in a couple of bands. Uh, she is in both Catalyst Prime and in Cradle of Filth. And she's also done appearances in other bands in the past as well. Uh, but she's going to be here with us for the next little bit to discuss her career, uh, industry stuff, and it should be a lot of fun. So with that, uh, thank you, Zoe, for joining us. You said it's going to be a lot of fun, so the pressure is on now. Yeah, it's going to be. I got to make it fun. We're going to do it. So to start off, um, so I'm going to bring bring it over to Aaliyah to uh, get the proceedings going here. Right on. So Zoe, I know you, but some of our listeners might not. Um, so let's just start with a brief summary of who you are and what you do within the realms of metal. Well, I am a vocalist and a keyboardist and a lyricist and a songwriter um, I do vocals and songwriting for my own band, Catalyst Crime. And as of a few months ago, I'm now doing female vocals and keyboards for Cradle of Filth. And as Curtis mentioned, I've done a lot of guest vocals and lyrics for other bands like Atrocity and the Vivaldi Metal Project. So, go ahead, Curtis. Well, I wanted to just bring it to the beginning because I, I wanted to ask my question about how she joined Cradle of Filth. So since she brought it up, I figured now is as good a time as any. Um, basically, I was friends with several people who worked in uh, Cradle's camp. Um, and so when there arose a last minute need for a female vocalist and keyboardist, uh, it had to be an American because the next tour was an uh, American tour, North American, and there would have been visa issues if I had not been from the US. Uh, so my friends were kind enough to recommend me for the job. Um, I sent in some material, the guys liked what I was doing, and I found out a month before the North American tour that, yeah, come on aboard. So it was really last minute, really sudden, but it was a, it was a lot of fun too. How does one arrange that last minute? Because I'm assuming you got like a job and I know you got a family and stuff. So how, do, how does that work that you just are able to do that? I'm really lucky because a lot of my job can be done remotely, my day job, um, my other day job previously was I was a long-term substitute teacher during the pandemic. Mm. And the good news is, is that the school year was ending right as the tour was beginning. So that worked out just fine. And cool. then when it came to my family, um, I have an amazingly supportive family uh, when it comes to my daughter and her needs as well. So everything just thank goodness for good people around me. That's all I have to say. That's awesome. Cool. All right, Aaliyah, go ahead. All right, well, let's throw it back to the past a little bit. Um, what were like the bands who were lanterns on your path to becoming a metalhead as a child? My father introduced me to Iron Maiden first, um, and he took me to see Iron Maiden twice. Uh, he also had me listening to Rush. Uh, he had me listening to um, Fate's Warning. Uh, there were so many bands that were kind of like my gateway bands. But then in my early teens, I found my own bands that inspired me further. Uh, one of which you and I met actually in line for one of their concerts in Cleveland 12 years ago, I think now. That was mm -hmm. Epica. Uh, so when I was 12, 13, I discovered Within Temptation, Epica, Nightwish. 
uh, Lacuna Coil. And that put this whole new dimension in metal for me because these were girls and they weren't, you know, trying to be like the boys. They weren't trying to be like, you know, hyper-masculine or aggressive. They were embracing the feminine side of what metal could be. And they were keeping their femininity and really just celebrating it in metal in a way that I hadn't seen before. And that was really inspiring for me. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Um, what about your journey as a vocalist? Can you tell us when you started singing and, and what that path looked like? It's funny you ask that while I'm here. So I'm at my great grandfather's house right now. Um, and he is on hospice care at the moment. It's kind of like his uh, his last days, so to speak. Uh, I'm sorry. But this is, oh no, it's, 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 a, it's a joyful death. It's one of those deaths of someone who was very loved and lived a good life. So it's not so much of a sad occasion. But in this very house behind me, I started singing when I was a little girl with his wife, my great grandmother. And I still remember the first songs she taught me because she loved singing. And when she was a child growing up in the Great Depression, she and her sister got to sing on the radio several times in Southern California. So she was the one who started me singing, I feel, when I was really little. And my dad was always singing really, really like loudly in church. And I wanted to be like him. So I think between my dad and my grandma, that's how I started singing. And then I didn't do anything professional training wise until I was at university. And I took voice classes. Um, I had some amazing professors. And then a couple of years after that, I took lessons uh, with Flori Anson from Nightwish. Um, actually, I took lessons with her before she officially joined Nightwish, which was really special because when she was officially announced as the new Nightwish vocalist, it was like, wow, they could not have made a better choice than that. Yeah, I remember at the time, I really, I remember looking at her page for voice lessons so many times and like wishing I could could afford to take those lessons and um but it's so cool that you were able to um what are some things that Floor helped with that maybe a normal voice teacher a local voice teacher who's not immersed in metal um, might be able to teach you when it comes to the live performance aspect I think we can all agree that Floor is unparalleled how she just has this really commanding presence on stage. And you would think that that would be natural because she's a tall woman. Um, but as she was telling me during one of her, our lessons, she said, you know, you got to fight to accept that you're tall. You got to not hide it. You shouldn't be slouching your shoulders or trying to be smaller than the boys around you. That's never going to do it. And so she kind of brought this aspect in when it came to self-confidence, because I'm also very tall. Uh, she brought in this aspect of self-confidence during live performance that I never really got from my other teachers and professors. So I really have her to thank for that. I have a kind of a follow-up question on that. I mean, I'm not a singer or anything like that, but so how does it kind of work to have someone like at, at that level teach you versus someone else teach you how to sing, if that makes sense? I think we all know that there's extremely gifted and talented voice coaches uh, that are not famous. You know, certainly there's many other coaches out there who are not Flory Jansen, but still have a lot to teach you and tell you. I had a lot of other good teachers um, that come to mind. But because she worked in metal, there was also this respect that she had for metal that a lot of my previous teachers did not have. I remember being in university and having the head of the music department tell me like, once you're done wasting your time in metal bands, let me know and we'll get you on a serious career path. 
you know? And of course, Floor coming from the world of metal didn't have that kind of bias against it. Curtis, you're muted. I'm muted, sorry. Uh, just question is another follow-up on that. So you just mentioned about your professor saying about talking to them when you were done with the metal stuff. So how did you kind of like keep your own confidence there where you were like, I'm going to stick on this path? Uh, for me, I... I can't do music that doesn't inspire me. And I have all the respect in the world for classical singers and classical music. But as my friend and fellow guitarist, Donnie Burbage says, if you go into classical music, you're basically going to be doing covers the rest of your life. And that is true. You know, I love, I have all the respect in the world for professional opera singers, but they're singing cover songs for their careers. And that's great. And they do an amazing job, but I didn't want to be singing someone else's material for the rest of my life. Even if it was someone who was a legend and lived hundreds of years ago, like Mozart, I wanted to do my own thing. Fair enough. Yeah. And um, you did do your own thing. And you first, the first band I knew of that you were in was called Insatia. And, um, you know, I know that band, um, you released an album and then you kind of disbanded after that at some point. Can you go into maybe the why behind uh, the disbandment? I guess it's been long enough now that I can really talk about it. Um, because of course I've been giving these vague answers for years whenever someone has asked me about it. But the truth is, um, is that at the time I was dating one of my bandmates and it was kind of our band together. And you wrap up a lot of emotions and feelings when you create music with someone else, you know, when you're performing together and stuff. So when the relationship didn't work out, the band just didn't have the same energy or the same appeal for me. So it was necessary at that time to move on both from the relationship and from the music. Yeah, that's a that's a hard stop for most people. Obviously, there's the exception of Epica, but... Epica pulled it off brilliantly. I actually, I talked to Mark while it was happening, you know? Really? Yeah, while it, cause, cause uh, Mark is a great guy. He always has like really insightful oh, yeah. things to say. Uh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, like I, I said, I just don't have the energy, you know, I'd rather start something completely new. And he said, you know, it was, it was tough for Epica for a while. And I just didn't want to go through doing it the tough way. I wanted to just, I wanted to do something completely new. In some ways, Insatia was kind of restricted by the sound that we already had. And I wanted to go in different directions. So it was kind of a, it was definitely a blessing all the way around that things went the way they did. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you started your new band, Catalyst Crime. And so you feel like you're free from those restrictions somewhat from what Insatia was? Yeah, because Insatia was really kind of defined as power metal and power metal is fun. I like power metal, but what I really wanted to create was symphonic metal with some death metal elements, some prog elements. I, I wanted to kind of go in multiple directions with my music and I needed the right team of musicians to do that with. So um, I brought Kaylin over from Insatia, my guitarist, because he had some similar ideas about what he wanted. And uh, we assembled the rest of the team. Jonah came on board and just gave these lush symphonic sounds that just were just beyond my wildest dreams for what I wanted to create symphonically. So it was absolute freedom with the team that I had to create the sound that I wanted. And I think it's going to continue to evolve and get even more, get even closer. Sorry, there, there are mosquitoes out here. Damn it. I think it's going to continue to evolve. 
and get even more heavier and more on the death metal side, symphonic death metal on this next album. That's exciting to hear. And um, yeah, your harsh vocals are definitely really awesome. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. Um, when did you start developing your harsh vocals? Is that something you've always wanted to do? I wanted to do it. But of course, well-meaning professors and teachers before Floor told me that it was the fastest way to destroy your voice. And then when I started working with Floor, um, I already knew about great female growlers on the scene, like Angela, you know, and Elisa and everything. But Floor was the first one who showed me some of what you have to start doing to develop that sound in a safe and healthy way. And so I kept at it for several years. It takes a lot of time to develop. I'm still developing it even now. Like there's still some areas I really want to improve when it comes to my harsh vocals. Uh, but I always wanted to do it and it just took the right teacher to push me in the direction of you can do it. That's awesome. I have to admit that even when I was in college, some of my metalhead friends discouraged me from learning how to growl because they didn't want me to damage my singing voice. And it definitely put me off for probably too long. So... Don't listen, you know, your path. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta do what feels right to you at the end of the yeah. day. You know, people can't define your sound or your musical journey for you. Never let them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Cattle's Crime, you, you put, put together this lineup that is multinational and you surmounted really pretty intense odds to put this album out um, last year. Um, how it kind of goes back to this question Curtis asked earlier, but how did you maintain your drive and uh, persevere through the hardships and difficulties that you encountered along the way with the setup? I have the best team possible. I'm really lucky in that the guys in my band and the girl are all people I really respect and admire and am friends with. And we had nothing else to do during the pandemic than to songwrite. And of course, the first album was already done, but we kind of kept motivated to get to the release date by writing the next couple of albums. And so we have like, I think we have like 50 half finished songs at this point from the pandemic at various stages of completion. And by the time we were out of the pandemic or we're all getting out of it now, I guess, um, by the time we were ready to work on the second album, we already had a, a great selection of songs to pick from. And so I think the fact that everyone is just really hyper creative in this band keeps us going. It really, really does. I, I can't say enough good things about all of them. I want to follow up, Ali, if I, if I may. Um, so I have a question on how, how you kind of can maintain a schedule with Catalyst Crime and Cradle of Filth. Like, how does that work? You know, I've only been in Cradle for about four and a half months now, I think. True, true. Good point. Um, true, so, true, so, true. So as of yet, it hasn't been problematic it almost was at one point there were there were two conflicting dates there, there was a conflicting date with the catalyst schedule that has been rectified thankfully yeah. by other circumstances um but my thing is like you know cradles management has been great that i can just communicate with them i can communicate with my own management and we just figure it out as we go basically um so cool. hopefully it continues to not be a problem um cool. And again, if it does, uh, open communication solves a lot of things because, you know, some of the guys in Cradle also have their own projects. Uh, yeah. Martin and Ashok, our two Czech guys, have another band called Titanic that also goes on tour and stuff. And of course, Donnie is also in, in either realm. Yeah. So we'll, we'll all find solutions. We're adults. 
cool. And then I had one other question that's kind of off the topic, if Aaliyah's okay. Okay. When do you kind of know that you're a professional musician? When, when did you kind of get that sense? Because I know a lot of people get that imposter syndrome type thing, but they're still like, I mean, you're in a big band and everything. Like, when do you actually feel like you knew that you were a pro? I I still feel like Zoe. Damn it. Honestly, I thought I was going to, I thought you were going to say you had a certain time. Okay. I still feel like Zoe. I mean, I've now played for 50,000 people and I still yeah. just feel like Zoe. I really, really do. <laughs> I mean, okay. I don't know if that's imposter syndrome or just like, I'm this girl from Tucson, Arizona and I make music and I'm a musician. Are any of us really professional? I don't know. I think we're all just, uh, we're figuring out as we go. Good, good. Ads. Cool. Cool. Okay, Leah, I'm, I'm done on that. That's a great answer. Um, now I wanted to delve into uh, the release process a little bit because we are kind of a, a music marketing podcast and uh, aiming to help DIY musicians. Um, and am I correct in saying that both Insatia and Catalyst Prime were released with the help of a label? The first Insatia album was an independent release, although I consider it more of a demo anyways. Um, but the second Catalyst album and the first Cradle album, I'm sorry, the first Catalyst album and the second Insatia album were released with labels, yes. So you have the experience of releasing an independent release compared to a record label. So at this point in time, like a lot of bands are taking a more DIY approach, self-releasing and such. Um, but what benefits have you seen from working with the label instead? The best thing a label brings is contacts, always, and some insight into how the market works because, you know, they have business professionals among their ranks who can give advice for the right way to time things, for example. Um, I've really enjoyed our PR person at Massacre, Anya. She's taught me a lot about the right way to promote things. Um, but, you know, in the same breath, uh, there is a lot you can do as an independent musician. Um, and I've seen a lot of bands do several albums independently, even tour as an independent band and then move to a label later. So I think it's, it's you got to understand that everything is time or money. Like that's just life. And the question is, do you want to spend extra time on something or extra money? And I feel like for the DIY crowd, you're spending a lot of extra, a lot of extra time learning how to do it yourself. And, you know, if, if that's a trade-off that you want to make, I support that. Yeah, I think that's, that's the absolute, like, that's totally accurate. It's, it's a lot of time to learn. So, um, well, for finding a label, uh, can you share like the story of how you connected with your current Catalyst Crimes current label? We um, were really lucky in the sense that, well, let me back up. So let me back up a little bit because it's more than just luck. If you're in a band and you're trying to get somewhere as a musician, the best thing you can do is be easy to work with. The best thing you can do is have a good reputation for being easy to work with, friendly, helpful, um, you know, not acting entitled. Like the worst thing musicians, I think, in any band can do, no matter how big or small, is act entitled to something. And so if you go in saying, yeah, I have the next ACDC back in black album, nobody's going to take you seriously and you're going to piss everyone off. Um, but if you're really just 
yourself and genuine and smart and friendly and work hard, you'll make friends with other people who value those qualities. And in the case of Catalyst, um, we made friends with Alexander Kroll, who eventually became our manager. And he also does scouting for a couple of the labels. Uh, so he was able to hook us up with a deal with Massacre, which is, of course, the Soul Food Music Group, which is the same as Nuclear Blast, uh, you know, AFM, etc. So networking is part of the uh, strategy, well, not strategy, but kind of the way that you make things work. So can you kind of give an example of things, mistakes you've noticed band, bands make when they're trying to network? Like, do you have any like that? Um, yeah, I, I have, I definitely have some. So, well, every year, you know, there's this huge cruise from Miami called 70,000 tons of metal. Yeah. And I always call it the crown jewel of networking uh, because the fans and the bands are all on the same boat, literally in the same boat. And there are no VIP areas, so nobody can get away from each other, really. Uh, but that's great because the bands that go expect this. And so you're having breakfast and Exodus is sitting right next to you and you might strike up a conversation. And the nice thing is that the fans that go on 70,000 tons, they aren't bugging the bands. They're genuinely like, you know, having good times with them. Like I can remember, you know, the guys from Camelot singing karaoke with the guys from Leaves Eyes and a bunch of other people, you know, on the boat and stuff. Uh, so like networking, the big do's I would say are to just, again, be genuine, be friendly, don't be weird. You know, everyone is just a person, a human being at the end of the day, and we all love music. So let's focus on that. But also like, if you're talking about don'ts, I think one of the, the most obvious things I've seen also related to 70,000 tons is someone went into the Facebook group for 70,000 tons of metal. And there's like 25,000 people in this Facebook group, bands, musicians, fans, everyone who goes on the boat ends up in this Facebook group, it seems. And someone joined and the very same day they joined, they posted a band like, you know, their their local hometown band, like, check us out. Ah. We're the next great thing. We're so cool. We want to melt your faces off on the next, you know, cruise and everything. And of course, they get laughed out of the group because it's like, you know, you joined, you didn't make friends with anyone. You've never actually been on the boat. You're just here like doing shameless and egotistical self-promotion, which nobody appreciates. So, yeah. Also, one thing I've noticed that some bands will try to do right off the bat is they'll try to ask the person, someone uh, they're trying to introduce themselves for, for a favor right off the bat or something stupid like an intro or why would you do that? But when, when I met Alex, we never asked him to be our producer or our manager. Like Alex and I just became really good friends and eventually yeah. he offered to help me out with stuff, which was very just endlessly wonderful of him we became buddies first like just yeah. here's the thing even if you're not going to get favors from other musicians and bands yeah. why not just become friends because you can learn from them by example exactly. you yeah. know just, just watch what they do watch how they interact with people learn yeah. how they songwrite and stuff like it doesn't have to be about you know like yeah i'm friends with so and so from this big band maybe yeah. someday introduce me to this label executive it's like oh that's stupid yeah i agree 100 percent Aliyah, I think I took us off topic again. I'm sorry. That's okay. It's a relevant topic and you can hear, my, you can't hear my brains rattling, but I'm nodding along with you. Good. Good, good. <laughs> well, do you want to um, keep talking about networking for a couple minutes then or no? Sure. Do you have, sure. Yeah, yeah, let's well, dive in a little more. Well, let, let's talk about it a little bit more if you can. Can you, okay, so you, you're talking about like you should just be making friends with people and stuff like that. Um, how, how can that backfire on a band? Well, I think, you know, I think 
you need to never present yourself in a way that makes it seem like you're chasing the fame. You yeah. know, there's, there's ambulance chasers and there's fame chasers. Yeah. And all musicians or most of us kind of had this intuitive sense of when someone genuinely wants to get to know us and be friends with us and learn from us. And when they're just looking for a handout of some type. Yep. Um, so, you know, they're, you know, kind of I kind of have this nickname for them punishers uh it's just people who just really obsessively cling to you because I think they're going to get something out of you at some point yeah. and that's definitely not not the way to go about it. and then you end up with a bad reputation then people are like you know that person is always name dropping over there like that person is always pretending they're buddy buddy with everyone yeah. but they're just kind of there so it's, it's always like you know just be genuine again that that's the most important thing authenticity will get you so far in life and in music and how how often does that happen even more now that you've kind of gotten yourself into bigger bands like with catalyst crime and cradle is that more frequent now you know it would be, but I'm really protective of my personal life. Um, I keep a very small circle of close friends. Yeah. Um, I don't answer my own emails and messages most of the time. I have a webmaster who helps out with that, thank goodness. Uh, and it's not because I don't care about fans or I don't want to talk to them. And in fact, sometimes I really do enjoy talking to musicians and fans and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just for my own peace of mind. I don't want to constantly have to be questioning what someone's motives are for wanting to connect with me. Like that's just exhausting. I have to think about it all the time. So I know exactly what you mean. Um, now I just wanted to talk about social media for a brief second. If Olivia is okay with that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, do you handle your own social media then, or do you not? I handle most of it. Uh, okay. I also, I also, uh, we also have a lovely webmaster, uh, Mallory Jacobson, who is uh, Jonah's girlfriend, who also is, you know, handles, uh, she has admin access for all of our social media as well. So okay. she can also take care of stuff. But that's for Catalyst, for your own profiles and stuff you handle your own. That, that's for Catalyst. She also has access to my own artist profile as well. Uh, okay. And yeah. And again, that's just, it's just helpful, you know, yeah. to always have another buffer there. Yeah. So. So tell me this then, if uh, assuming assuming that you're the one that comes up, are you the one that comes up with the content and stuff for most of the Catalyst Prime stuff? A lot of, a lot of the time, yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just making sure, because if I'm asking questions that you're not doing, then didn't want to get, get into it. So how do you kind of like, how do you guys kind of figure out what the content is going to be for the month or the week or whatever? Do you plan it in advance or how do you do it? You know, before I joined Cradle, I was a lot more hands-on with that. And I'm going to get more hands-on with that uh, because we have an upcoming single and video release I need to start scheduling stuff for. Yeah. Uh, but the truth is, like, Anya from Massacre Records, again, is really helpful with that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so she kind of comes up when it comes to releases and big band announcements. She comes up with a schedule for things. And then when it comes to the rest of the content, like, you know, birthdays or tutorials or you know like is sneak sneak peeks in the studio or something like that uh you know we arrange for the right days of the week at the right high traffic times which anyone can google, google those so which platform do you think is the best for catalyst crime to connect with fans you know it's funny there's a pretty big disparity between disparity disparity yeah yeah disparity there's a pretty big disparity between uh, our facebook and our instagram right now because our facebook and by the way, big, big, you know, message for every do-it-yourself band out there, every band out there, do not buy followers, do not yep. buy fake engagement, because it just, it's so obvious at the end of the day. 
Um, but when it comes to having organic engagement and growing organically, I found Facebook to be much better still than Instagram. Really? Uh, right, yeah, I have. Because right now, Catalyst has over 22,000 uh, organic followers on Facebook. And then our Instagram is still just over three. And I've been you know, working on different ways. I got to focus more on our Instagram growth over the next couple of months. Um, but when it comes to our reach, it's always just been better on Facebook. And I've heard other people say they prefer Instagram, but I'm just, I don't know, maybe it's just that I haven't learned this, the, the platform well enough yet or something, but I have never found it to be as engaging as Facebook. That is odd. I think you were the first musician who has ever said that to us <laughs> ever, but, uh, that's kind of cool. I didn't realize Catalyst Crime only had 3000 for some reason. I thought you guys had way, way more than that. Interesting. Yeah, uh, you'd think it would match our Facebook. It doesn't. So. Yeah, I, I've, look, I've looked at your Facebook numbers and I was like, I didn't really pay attention to the numbers on Instagram. And I just looked at it. Holy shit, she's not joking about that. So um, how do you kind of, just back to social media for one second. So you post a fair amount on your own Instagram. How do you kind of handle it so that way it goes between kind of personal and business and not focusing too much on one or the other? Because you kind of have like both, it seems like to me. You know, people want a genuine experience with their favorite artists and musicians. Yeah. Um, they want uh, to know a little bit more about you as a person and not just what you do for work, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. And I also feel like when I give, you know, the fans a little bit of a glimpse into like my day-to-day -day life, maybe it helps them understand my music better or me as a musician better. Uh, so there, there needs to be a good balance of that. You know, it, it can't just be all business all the time. There has to be like little bits and pieces of, you know, human girl Zoe living here in Tucson, Arizona, normal life. Fair enough. And I'm assuming that you feel like your your Instagram, your personal one is better than your Facebook. Uh, you know, my personal Instagram, my personal Facebook are about neck and neck for engagement. They're both Interesting. pretty right now. Um, I don't know why that is, why it's not the same way with Catalyst. I, again, I need to figure that one out, but they're both, you know, around 10 K followers, um, a little yeah. bit more on my book at the moment. Uh, so, and I, again, I, I try to keep everything pretty uniform between the two. Um, I think I get a little bit more like just day to day stuff on my Instagram, because of course we have the story feature there that I like yeah. better than the Facebook story feature. Same. So, yeah. Okay, makes sense. Um, Aaliyah, I think I'm done with the social media myself. Yeah, I just want to also bring up the fact that you do like a monthly, is a monthly Q&A with your fans on, on Instagram? Mm-hmm. How have I missed that? I'm following you. How did I miss that? You do monthly Q&As? Uh, you stories. do on the first month, yeah, in my stories. Yeah. I've somehow missed that. Okay. Sorry, Aaliyah, <laughs> go ahead. I just was surprised. I, I somehow missed that. Well, I mean, how have you? How do you feel like that has um, had an effect on? Like, I just think it's a really good way. I don't really know if there's a question here, but I just think it's a really good way to engage with people and like kind of break down that wall between, um, you know, the artist and the fan. Like, discussing things with them. I assume you you get questions you don't want to answer sometimes, but um, how do you curate that content to, you know, make it the best experience for everyone? Um. I always like to give people a chance to ask me the questions that I don't get asked in typical music interviews. Um, and it's also kind of cool because I have several fans that really love to talk about like philosophy and deeper subjects. And they always pop on every month without fail. And they ask me some really deep questions, which I love. Um, you know, I have one fan that will ask me every month what new piece of like, you know, life advice or life hack I have for them. Uh, I think that's really cool. Um, so it's a nice way to engage 
Um, it's a nice way, again, to kind of humanize myself because, you know, and this is the same for all women in metal. You know, I'm sure, Aaliyah, you get tons of this as well, is that you get this constant barrage of people just complimenting you in the most empty ways. And it's not that I don't appreciate the fans and their enthusiasm, you know, like compliments are always nice, but there comes a point where it's like, I'm not some immortal goddess from Valhalla. I'm Zoe. Uh, <laughs> what? Really? <laughs> yeah. Busted. Jeez, she just admitted it on, on, on a podcast. Yeah, so, and, and I like to remind people like, yeah, like this is this is me having a flat tire today. Um, this is me eating my favorite snack. You know, I'm 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 human at the end of the day. And I think again, like, you know, so many public figures, musicians, celebrities, etc., have had these really nasty, you know, uh, spats with the internet where they've been like attacked by trolls and stuff like that. And there's people who feel like entitled to attacking public figures because they're like, well, if you're a public figure, you're opening yourself up to criticism and attack. And it's like, yes, but at the same time, like public figures are also human too. Like they have normal day-to-day -day lives and feelings like you do. So I, I always like, you know, reminding people of just, again, the humanity of public figures. I'm a very small one. Like I'm not like, you know, Gwen Stefani or something, but still like, please remember my humanity and all of your, all of your interactions with me, good and bad. Have you had that as a problem out of curiosity as a general rule or no? You know, it's funny. I've only ever really had one incident uh, yeah. and it was fairly minor. There's this, this, uh, I won't give attention to this Facebook page, but there is, I won't name it, but there's this Facebook page that loves just making the most obscene, sexist, derogatory uh, memes about women in metal, just oh. makes fun of everyone constantly. And it's, mm -hmm. it's still, a, you know, it's, 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 it's a fairly small page like i have more followers than it does um but like it 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 posted a meme of me uh that had very anti-semitic undertones oh. it was really it was a joke it was a nazi joke uh it was really really dumb and so i wrote to the page and said you know uh hey can you take this down like this is really not cool to use my image in this way uh and they just posted it again so then I was just like, okay, whatever. Like, I'm just going to ignore this. Um, but that, that's really been the only incident I've had. Most people, I think, are, are friendly. They, they, they want to do the right thing in communication. I think the only other negative experiences I've really had have been, you know, guys sending naked pictures and stuff like that. That also really? is just like, what the hell is wrong with you? That's almost worse than the trolls and the, the, the you know, the, the, the anti-Semitic meme. Almost worse than that is unsolicited dick pics. So... Please don't do that. If I'm, if it means that I have to put you on the same level as the Nazis, then okay, fine. Because you know, honestly, it constitutes a form of sexual assault to give an unsolicited picture of your penis to a woman. Please don't I, do it. I can't even believe someone would even think that was like a smart move to do. Um, off the dick pics for a second, though. Um, have, what's the weirdest forever thing? Forever off the dick for, pics. For, okay, okay, forever off. off sorry, forever, forever. forever. I, I was. That's what I was meaning. Um, now I'm almost forgetting my questions. Question. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> now here's what it was. Um, how, what is your uh, what is some examples of some good interactions you've had with fans, like most memorable, in a good way, in a good way, not in a bad oh, way. <laughs> God, yeah, yeah. I've had I've had way more good ones than bad ones. Good. And that's the good. One. I love it when I see parents bringing their kids to metal shows. That makes my day every time. There was this one show that Cradle had, I think we were in Houston uh, back in May, 
And this dad brought his daughters to the show and they joined us on stage at the end. Like there's the, the band pictures actually with them. Cause we were like, yeah, there's these two girls who are here, you know, they can't have been much older than middle school. And uh, their dad reached out to me later on Instagram. He wrote me a very nice message. And I was just like, you're a great parent. Like that, that makes my day. Cause that's what my dad did with me, you know? Mm. Um, I had another instance, you know, another instance where I met a father daughter duo who went to one of our shows. I got a picture with them. So I just, I love seeing kids at metal shows. I love it. It's also, it's the teacher in me. It's the mom in me. And it's, you know, it harkens back to the good, the best memories I have with my own father. I have a question. Is is your daughter into metal or does she, or is she like mine or they just like hate it? She is. Oh, good. And You're lucky. It happens organically. That's the best cool. part. Cool. Is that she listens? She because I'll listen to stuff in the car, and mm -hmm. she'll pick out her favorite songs, and she'll request to listen to them. Like, and she'll sing along too. She knows so much Nightwish and Camelot and Epica. Uh, her favorite song right now is the Skeleton Key by Epica. She wants nice. to hear that all of the time. Um, nice. So she and she's actually she's been she went to a Cradle show uh, back in May, and our sound guy and our sound and lights guy let let her run the show with her own like unplugged in board nice. in the back so that's awesome you're lucky on that my kids just uh, complain to their friends that their dad works with people who scream at, at them all day so you know your kids will think you're cooler as they get older that's i don't know i i hope so i don't know i kind of get the impression that kids just hate anything their parents do i always think of that do you ever see that meme where tom mariah's daughter is uh looking at him in disgust as he's going yes. like this so yes. i always think of that yeah <laughs> anyways i've gotten off topic again Ellie. i think we only got like five minutes left well, that's okay. I'm. I love the stories of the kids at the at the metal shows. It's very inspiring. That's one of the things I love about like Sabaton. Like they have a lot of kid fans, and they'll bring them up on stage and give them a crazy cool experience. Um, so yeah, kids um, are always the kids. Here's the thing. Sorry for interrupting. I just no, please go ahead. You know, kids are my favorite fans because kids have no agenda other than that they just want to rock out with you. And I love that. And that is so pure and so real. They are the purest fans. And that's why I will always go out of my way for them. So I actually have another follow-up question actually on this now, since Aaliyah doesn't uh, mind us talking about uh, children for a minute here. Um, so is do you have any issues with your daughter listening to any other any types of metal specifically like i mean like you got the cradle of filth has got the jesus is a cunt stuff do you have any boundaries on that or are you just like i don't mind you know for me as she gets older the big thing is that she's always going to hear worse stuff in school than she will ever hear in heavy metal and that's, that's sad true, true. yeah um but i also have a really open relationship with my daughter uh, we can talk about anything. And I think that's really important because I don't want her to ever be afraid of discussing things with me. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd, I'd rather know so I can counsel her through things as opposed to her hiding stuff from me. Mm -hmm. uh, so when it comes to themes and metal, we talk about the fact that this is art uh, cool. and art, art kind of has its own rules. The Catalyst Crime video, for example, where I'm being like beaten up by this guy, I really had to take the time to explain it to her that this is art and we're using shock and violence uh, to send a message. And that sometimes things that are unpleasant or unusual or shocking are the most effective ways to send that message. And she gets it, you know, she really does get it. Cool, so no boundaries whatsoever. No, well, just again, they're the only boundaries that we need to be able to discuss things, you know? Yeah. 
No, it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm kind of the same way. I'd be like, if they wanted to listen to Deicide, I'd be like, I don't care. Go ahead and listen to Deicide. It doesn't bother me. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but one one more thing just on that. Well, kind of, because you said you were also working as a teacher, right? At one point. Mm-hmm. Has, has you being a metal singer ever been a problem with that? Um, no. I, at the same time, though, uh, now that I'm in Cradle of Filth, I've left teaching. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. And I, I, both because of the schedule demands, but also I, I figured that would be the band where if a parent was to Google me, I would probably get called <laughs> into the principal's office <laughs> over over at the Jesus is a concert yeah. for sure. That, that would have been inevitable at some point. So, yeah, yeah well, that's why I was curious because I, I know there's lots of metal te- te- teachers, or sorry, lots of singers and metal musicians that are teachers as well. I've always been curious how, the, how it's dealt with. So, you know, it's funny. I, I did have one bad incidence as a teacher. I was teaching uh, music at the time and mm-hmm. I was in high school, but the song was not a metal song. The song was Now You Know by Icon for Hire. Uh, which Aaliyah probably knows that song. Don't you, Aaliyah? I'm actually not that familiar with it. I heard you refer to it in another interview when I was listening to your interviews earlier. Ah. But I haven't listened to it yet. It is a, I'm going to send it to you after this interview then. That's going to happen. It's a fabulous song about what it's like to be a woman in the music industry. And it, it's it's a little graphic sometimes, but for seniors in high school, I just had them censor some words, but basically it goes, you know, you hypersexualize or you downplay your femininity, you dress like the dudes or you pray to God that you're pretty. You know, are you kidding me? It's just like, you know, these impossible choices. And so I did have some parents complain that I was pushing feminist propaganda on this. And yeah. And I'm like, you know, this is, this is a rock. It wasn't just music. It was a rock band class. And I'm like, uh, this is rock band. This is a rock song about what it's like to be a woman in rock and roll. And your girls are all 18 now. They can handle this you know like yeah whatever that's amazing that's amazing yeah oh man people and their pearl clutching um well i guess that can bring us to our our final note and like clickbaity sort of conversation i suppose um mentioned this uh to you earlier zoe and it was a especially troubling because i believe that the user who made this comment is female um I was on a Discord that I'm a part of, and somebody said, does anyone else think that female singers who also scream is becoming a bit of a gimmick? And I think especially because I, I'm pretty sure that this user is a female, I was a little more saddened by it than like um, than just angry about it, but I was like definitely a little irritated. Um, because like you, like you mentioned, like you'd never say that about a guy, right? Yeah. It's like, do men who scream or are they a gimmick? But what, yes. what you're really asking though, too, with that question is, are women in metal a gimmick? That is the question you're asking at the end of the day. And, you know, we're not gimmicks in any area of reality and certainly not in metal. Um, and I would also, you know, if I had a chance to talk to this person, you know, I would say like, I'm sorry you've been ever made to feel like a gimmick or that your presence in something diluted its value. Because I promise you, you bring value to situations. You don't dilute it by being a woman. What do you think would be an actual gimmick in metal, not like in terms of sex? What, what do you think would actually be like a gimmicky type thing out of curiosity? 
every band Napalm Records is signing right now. I'm kidding. Mm. <laughs> hey, your man's on Napalm, man. I love Napalm. I love no no no. I'm kidding. I love Napalm. I I love the whole like you know. There's there's that there's a ninja band. There's like space warriors. There's yeah those are <laughs> yeah yeah. There's 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 I like lots the dinosaur beds. <laughs> the heavy source. There's lots of gimmicks in metal. Let's be real. Yeah. The thing is though, if you're gonna do gimmicks, make them funny and clever. Which again, Napalm's bands are actually funny and clever. So. I love you, Napalm. I love the bands you're signing. I just think it's hilarious that, you know, I go there and I'm like, ah, oh, what's this one going to be? It's like, okay, like dinosaur space rangers. This is yep. great. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? Uh, I know we got to wrap up, but just, just out of curiosity, what would you think would be a good example of a band that is kind of considered to be kind of gimmicky, but that you think pulls it off successfully? Hmm. Oh, gosh. I think I, I, I'm going to have to say Aether Realm. I love Aether Realm. I love Donnie's band. I love their approach to music. I love just the little jokes they have going on about themselves. The redneck Vikings from hell, um, you know, and the, the whole not from Finland t-shirt. They do some gimmicky things, but they're so good. And their music is just so fantastic. Like, I, I, I love what those boys do. I think they've really figured out how to tread the line between you know making jokes and being a joke they've they've somehow nailed it perfectly so like at tiny metal hands for either realm right now that's awesome so leah how are we what, what do we still got to cover here i think we've covered everything that we can today um if we want to do another if we ever do another a women in metal themed episode Perhaps we should extend an invitation to you, Zoe, because I think you are pretty knowledgeable about the topic. Um, but yeah, I think, is there anything else you want to share? Maybe what's next for Catalyst Crime mm. that you can tell oh. us? Uh, what I can tell you for certain right now is that we will have a new single and video coming out very, very soon. So expect that announcement in the coming days. Oh, is it a new song? It's not, it's actually the last single from the current album, but it's been delayed by pandemic related stuff. So, okay. but cool. the new, new song is also coming. That's coming next year. So cool. Awesome. Can't wait to hear it. Can't wait to see the video because your last ones have been really awesome. Oh, um, thank you. Had a great team. Having the right team definitely helps. Um, so thank you again so much for coming on the podcast, Zoe. Hopefully this has proved helpful to some of you guys who are listening. And until next time, make like a bull and throw those horns up. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word by leaving us a five-star review on your platform of choice. You can also join the conversation by following us on any social media and suggesting guests or topics you'd like to learn more about. Thanks for listening to C-Squared.